Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Little T's Big Interviews. I am Tess Eggison and today I'm interviewing an author, CEO, international law expert, and former director of policy planning for the United States State Department, Dr. Anne-Marie Slaughter. Hello. Hello. Well, shall we get started? Indeed. <laughs> Looking forward <laughs> to the conversation. So you were the first woman to be the director of policy planning in the U.S. State Department. That That's means right. you worked with Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State under President Obama. <laughs> what does the State Department do? <laughs> All right. Well, um, so yes, all of that is right. Uh, and I, it had long been a dream of mine uh, to be uh, in the State Department and, and in that position. But the State Department is the part of the United States government that handles all of our foreign policy. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, the Secretary of State is like the, the country's top diplomat. Uh, so it's the person who go, flies around to other countries, who uh, deals with crises. Uh, everything that happens outside the United States is basically the responsibility of either the State Department or, obviously, if it's war, then the Defense Department. And mm -hmm. if it's giving foreign assistance, the U.S. Agency for International Development. But the State Department is a building the size of a huge city block. <laughs> in Washington, D.C., uh, and I worked directly for the Secretary of State, who was Hillary Clinton, from 2009 to 2011. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a very, very important job. It was an important <laughs> job. It was very exciting. But did you enjoy your policy planning job? And if so, what did you like most about it? I did enjoy it. I enjoy I love the people. I had about 40 people working for me, and they were a mix of, of what's called foreign service officers or professional diplomats. Mm -hmm. uh, I had civil service officers, other people who worked for the government. I also had former students of mine who I hired uh, as experts in various areas. And so it was about 40 different people. They were terrific. Um, I was very honored to be able to work for Secretary Clinton. Uh, I didn't know her before I started working for her, but she was remarkable. Um, what I didn't like was that my family stayed behind in Princeton. Uh, my sons were uh, 11 years old and nine years old, and my husband was a professor. Uh, and so I missed them. I was lonely a lot. Uh, and it's a. Uh, Government is a lot of meetings, mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot, a mm -hmm. lot of meetings. And uh, I, so I, I thought it was a very, very important experience. I, I think it also taught me a, a lot about what I, what I like best to do and what I don't like to do so much. Yeah. Well, my next question for you is why do you think it is important that the United States has good relationships with other countries? That's a very good question. Well, so there's two, there are many answers to that question, but one of the answers is 
Um, if there are nations who don't like us, so Rush, the Russian leader does not like us very much, Vladimir Putin. The Russian mm -hmm. people are different, but the Russian leader and a lot of the government don't like us. And if they were to attack us, you know, say in World War II when Japan attacked us or Germany went to war with Europe, then you need other countries to be your allies and friends. Mm -hmm. So it's important, just like, you know, you're in school and maybe you've got somebody who really doesn't like you, you want to have your friends. It makes yeah. a big difference. But the other reason you need good relations with countries is there are a lot of things you have to do together, right? So right now we have to fight climate change mm -hmm. and we have, we have to save the planet. And we can't do that alone. Even if the United States does everything right, it won't make a difference unless other countries do that too. So we want good relationships so that we can persuade other countries uh, to do things with us uh, for all of our good. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you write and talk a lot about being a mom, as well as being an international lawyer, an author, and a CEO. How do you balance being so busy at work and home? Well, <laughs> so the first thing to say is I like doing lots of things at one time. I'm, I have a short attention span, and I get bored easily, so I like to have lots of different things. When I was even your age, and certainly when I was in high school, I was always parts of, you know, the school newspaper and the singing group and it, just all the different, and sports, lots of different things. So I like doing different things. I am also pretty easy on myself. Like I don't beat myself up for not being there for maybe a school game for one of my kids or mm -hmm. not answering an email or, um, you know, letting, letting things drop that I, I try to do the most important things. But I think if you're going to do a lot of things at once, you have to be kind to yourself. And we mm -hmm. used to tell our children um, when they were more or less your age, we would say, you know, in some ways, we're going to be loser parents. Like, we're not going to be on the field trip. We're going to forget to fill in, in the form. We're not necessarily going to be, you know, bring in whatever it is we're supposed to bring in. But we'll take you on interesting trips. We'll read books to you. We'll do the best we can. So mm -hmm. I think I think it's important not to be too perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So um, you, I mentioned that you were a CEO. Mm-hmm. And that means you are the boss of a lot of people. That's true. So <laughs> my question for you is, is it scary to be a boss? And do you ever worry about people liking you? What a smart question. Well, so first, yes, it is scary <laughs> to be a boss. I have uh, been a boss in a number of different situations. And first day on the job as a boss is like the first day of school or the first day of camp, except even scarier because they're looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> they expect you to tell them what to do. So it's scary enough. Any new situation is scary. Um, so it is scary. And you have to, you have to, I always tell people if your stomach doesn't hurt, you're not growing. So mm -hmm. being scared is a good sign. You, you learn to, to do it. Um, it can be lonely. 
and I really like to lead with people, not over people. So I have a partner. I'm the CEO. That's the chief executive officer. I am really the boss, the big boss. But I have a president who works with me very closely. Mm-hmm. And I have four other people who are part of a group we meet regularly. So I think about it as um, leading together. If things get really sticky, I'm going to have to make the ultimate decision. But that that makes it uh, more fun. And I also think more brains, you know, two brains are better than one and five brains are better than two. You don't want to run everything through 20 people, but uh, that's the way I, I learned how to lead. And that makes it easier and more fun. And you feel like you're building something important with a lot of other people, but different people lead in different ways. That's just the way I have developed uh, as a leader. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was a leader until my late 30s. So don't think that I just like always knew I was going to lead. I didn't. <laughs> so you have traveled to lots, and I mean lots, of countries. Yes, and I have. So what was your favorite and why? Oh, well, that is an easy question. My favorite country in the world is Italy. Uh, and that's not the most exotic place I've been to. I've been to Australia and I've been to Cambodia and I've been to India. Wow. I've been to Morocco and um, Liberia. I've been to lots of places. I've never been to anywhere in Latin America, which is, which is very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but Italy is the perfect combination of beauty. It's just such a beautiful country. Artists have thought so for centuries. It is, the food is fantastic. But what I love most about Italy is that people work to live rather than live to work. So it is a culture, people are warm, they care about family, they care about taking time for other people. And so being there is a combination of being in beauty and eating great food, but also, you know, a meal can take two hours. Yeah. You know, in the United States, we gobble our lunch and, you know, run off to do more work. So Italy is definitely my favorite country in the world. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. It is. <laughs> I went for the first time when I was 30, and my mother is from Belgium. And so Belgium is another mm-hmm. country in Europe. It is, it, it has beautiful parts, but it rains a lot, and it's cold. So when I first went to Italy, when I was 30, I wrote my mother or I emailed her and I said, mom, there was a better part of Europe to be from, (laughs) meaning you should have come from Italy, not Belgium. (laughs) And now she comes to Italy with us. Wow. Um, So my next question for you is in government, you Mm -hmm. sometimes have to make tough decisions. Yep. And sometimes it's hard to be a woman a woman leader and not everyone wants to listen. What advice would you give to a young girl who has to make a tough decision? Mm, that's a great question. And it makes me realize I didn't answer your all of your earlier question, which is yes, to be a leader, you have to be prepared for people not to like you. In fact, I tell people if you want to lead, you 
you can only lead if you're prepared to do what you think is right, even if other people think it's wrong and they don't like you for it. And so to your point in government, um, I think it's harder being a woman because people still expect women to be nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if you are, you're not mean, but you're just, uh, you know, you, you're tough. You do what, what a leader has to make hard decisions. In government, you have to make decisions that really affect other people's lives. And sometimes um, there's, I think there's more pressure on a woman to go along uh, than on a man. Or put another way, a man pays less of a price for standing up for what he thinks is the right thing to do. People are more likely to see him as courageous uh, and sometimes, sometimes, certainly not all the time, but sometimes a woman is likely to be seen as, you know, unpleasant or not a team player, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, it's getting better. And of course, now we have a woman speaker of the house and a woman vice president and yeah. women on the spring court, lots of things that we didn't have when I was growing up. But I think, you know, if I were talking to you, I would definitely say, don't, well, how to put this, um, I, I think I would say, you know, follow your instincts about what is right. Mm-hmm. And even if that means, you know, you're not going along with the crowd and you sometimes feel like maybe you're an outsider, it's still worth it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure your mom tells you the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, so my next question is, you have taught at Harvard and Princeton, yep. both very great schools. What are some things your students taught you? Oh, many things. Uh, one of the great things about teaching at great universities is that your students teach you as much as they teach them, as you teach them. So I'll tell you one thing that I learned from a student at the University of Chicago, where I also taught, and she's now a professor. But so I had called on a guy and the way I, I was teaching law. And so when you teach law, you know, you, you'd say, you know, Ms. Eggleston, please state the case. You know, it's a very you kind of call on people. You're, you're tough. And then they say something and then you question them and then they say something else and you question them. So I'd done that with this guy. And then I called on this young woman who was sitting next to this guy and I asked her a couple of questions and then I moved on. So I must have asked him probably five questions and maybe I asked her three. And afterwards she came up to me and she said, you know, when you backed off, in other words, I didn't keep questioning her you were sending me a message that you didn't think I was smart enough or tough enough to keep answering. Mm -hmm. And so she taught me that my instinct was to be easier. You know, I wanted, I, 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 this was not conscious. This is subconscious, but my, I guess think my instinct was probably to be a little easier on her because she was a woman. And she was saying that's saying to me and everybody else that, that you don't, don't think I'm as good as the guy. And I never forgot that. And I was always equally tough on all my students. And I'm not, I'm never mean. 
but I can be tough. Uh, and uh, so that's one of the things that a student taught me, but there's many, many others. Wow. Um, I have always wanted to be a writer and I'm in the middle of a couple books, but I understand you have written and published eight books. So mm. what's your tip for young writers? <laughs> well, the most important thing is just to write, right? I mean, just to get used to writing and lots of writers say, you know, write something every day. I never kept a diary, but I think it's probably, you know, it's a good idea or, or maybe just a journal, right? You don't have to write every yeah. night. Um, but most important is just to, just to get used to it. And what happens, you know, you're in, you're in elementary school and you write a two page paper and you're in high school and you write a five page paper and you get to college and you write a 15 page paper and you think, I'm never going to write a book, a book. No, that's a hundred pages, two hundred pages. But you know, you just keep going. And when I was, uh, I got a master's degree. I wrote a hundred pages and a dissertation, two hundred pages. And then my first book took me ten years to write. Wow. My last book took me eighteen months. So you get better at it, right? It's like every, it's like anything else. Um, the other thing I think my advice is is. You can imitate other people, just like if you were becoming a painter or a photographer. It's useful to, to try to do things in the style of somebody else. But the most important thing for a writer is to have your own voice, yeah. is to sound on the page so that people think, yeah, that's Tess's voice. I can, I can, I, I hear that voice in my head. And that having that voice is even more important than maybe maybe being the most beautiful writer or the smartest writer because reading a book that way is almost like a conversation right you hear the author um it's a little different when you're writing stories because then you're you know you're you you're not you're, you're just reading the story not listening to the author as much but even there you develop your own voice mm -hmm. And don't be scared because everybody writes, every single writer I know writes a lot of bad stuff as well as good stuff. Okay. Well, I'm afraid that our time is almost up. So do you mind if I ask you a couple more silly questions? Sure. So I understand you really like fancy hats. So where is <laughs> the first place you want to go wearing a fancy hat after COVID-19? Oh, that's a, <laughs> I do. I love hats. Um, well, the first place I want, that's a great question. I'd love to go to New York and wear a fancy hat up and down Fifth Avenue, but I may not do that. I may be going to Italy and then what I would, I have a great big sun hat, uh, that is, that is kind of fancy and I will be wearing that every day in the sun. <laughs> so my last question comes from my producer. What do you think of my mom? You have the most wonderful mom. You really do. That's why when I caught on, I thought I felt like I knew you because I, I, I hear about you from her and, and see things on Twitter. Um, but your mom is one of the greatest connectors I have ever met, meaning somebody who loves people and loves bringing people together. Uh, and 
that's just such a gift. Uh, and I remember when I first came to Indianapolis and your mom is the very first person to show me around and she made me love it, you know, and she introduced me to all sorts of people. So you have, you have truly a great mom. Well, um, thank you so much for doing this with me. It really was an honor to have you, Dr. Slaughter. You are most welcome, and I've had a wonderful time. And I look forward to listening to your podcast and reading you before too long. <laughs> well, bye. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Some sources for this episode include newamerica.org and Marie Slaughter Wikipedia and reading the summaries for some of her books. Thank you, and I'll have another episode of Lil T's Big Interviews coming out soon.